0: Amen. Uh, there's really no easy way to jump into a sermon, uh, after just kind of what we're walking through together. And so I don't want to minimize pain. I don't want to minimize what we're walking through as a community, but I do believe God has something to say to us. And I actually think what, what is taking place and even just the bittersweet nature of this morning, um, is indicative, I think of the work God is really wanting to do in our area, in this region, this community. And, uh, I remember uh, one of the cool things about it is getting to know so many of you through projects like laying this carpet, <laughs> which some of you, your back still hurt because I asked if you would help lay carpet, so I'll apologize later, but I'm not apologizing today. It looks really good, so good job. You did well, uh, and uh, one of the things that's interesting uh, is in the process. Some other churches have even helped us out. People from New Life have chipped in, our Zero Collective Church, and uh, friends from Journey Church over in Caledonia have helped. And one of those friends is actually my brother, Joel. And Joel was is the artist formerly known as JJ, is what I grew up calling him. And uh, Joel used to play drums at this church when it first launched, and he we always joke because he could never see over the drum cage. Like, he was just totally covered by the drums at, the, at that moment. And so... We're sitting there, and we're laying carpet, and we started to just talk about some funny stories from when we were kids, and one of those was uh, we took a family trip to the Mall of America. Anyone ever been there, like Minneapolis? Okay, perfect. So some of you have been there um, in the Mall of America, and to be honest, I don't even know if it still exists because it's kind of like a metamorphosis over time. This was like a long time ago, Um, but we were there, and one of the only reasons, we have three boys and one girl in our family. And the only reason that we wanted to go is because we heard they had like an indoor amusement park called Camp Snoopy. Anyone ever, you've heard of this, right? Some of you are nodding your heads. Maybe you've been there. So really Camp Snoopy is a place where you bring all your kids and and your wife goes there so the dad can go shop. So that that's exactly what Camp Snoopy is. It's a place for dad to get some freedom and go some retail therapy. No, I'm just kidding. It was all dads. It was all dads in there. That's all I saw. And I was ten. Like it was all dads and kids. So it's a genius idea. But we get in there. So it's my dad and my two younger brothers and myself. We get into Camp Snoopy and it's just like the world is just open before our eyes. It's an incredible place. And so we're kind of looking around. My brother Joey is there. He's kind of in the middle. J.J.'s there, my dad's there, we're looking around, this is incredible feat of just human engineering and and retail consumerism at its finest, like all combined, we're walking around and we're about to go on to our first ride. Well, we get into the ride and we notice that J.J.'s nowhere to be found, like my youngest brother's not there. And I was like, I literally just saw him. He just was here. So my dad's kind of frantic looking around. We're, we start to just kind of search the nearby areas and try to figure out where is this person? Like, where is our youngest brother? So eventually we do find him. But I, I've had that same frantic feeling even the last couple of weeks as we've been in this church transition. How many times I've left my keys in the school or this building is you'd be embarrassed for me. It's just like, I have no idea where my keys are. I have no idea where my wallet is. Things just keep getting lost. And you've probably had that feeling, right? There's a moment in all of your lives where you've left your phone at home, and you're like, oh my gosh, my left arm is missing. Like, how do, how do I go anywhere with this thing, without this thing? And how many of you wear glasses in the room? Can I just see my glasses, people? If you're online, you could just throw glasses emoji. I don't know what you do online. But I wear glasses all the time. I've worn them since first grade. And there are multiple days throughout a month in which I'll say, Lindsay, where are my glasses? Guess where they are? Yeah, exactly. All all the glasses people are like pointing to your eyes. Yeah, they're on my face. I feel like a complete idiot. But the frantic feeling of having something lost is awful. Uh, You know what it's like too when you've had moments, whether it's relationally or even with mental health or spiritual, kind of your faith and your foundation for life. You know what it's like to have moments where you feel like that's lost or drifting away where you have moments where you're like, well, I thought my trust in God was really solid, and then something happens. Or I thought that my mental health or just my stability as a human being was really locked in, and then, and then I, I encounter a new idea or a decision I make throws me off, or a kid does something that doesn't make sense, and I'm just trying to figure out where do I go from here. You know what it's like to feel lost. Here's what the world's gospel which is different than Jesus' gospel, and we'll get into that. But the world's good news to us when things are lost is the question, are you lost? And all of us have been, but are you lost? Here's the, the world's gospel. Just you got to work harder to find yourself. Just find yourself. If you just work hard, you will find yourself. Get, do more personality tests, get better clothes, change your job, move into a new neighborhood. If you just do all those things together, you eventually will find yourself. Don't worry about being lost. You'll eventually find what you're looking for. And one of the most powerful stories is what we began last weekend, was Luke 15. These three parables that Jesus tells of things that are lost. A lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. And what I want to do is just kind of paraphrase Luke 15, 25 to 30. If you have a Bible, flag this because we're we're going to go back to it. But Luke 15, 25, 30, or you can pull it up on a device as well. Jesus tells kind of the second half of the parable that we didn't explore yesterday, or not yesterday, wow, you can tell how my week has been. Sunday, uh, and last Sunday as John Free kind of talked about the world's patterns versus Jesus' pattern for us to have life, and we kind of did the first half. The second half of the story is really interesting, and it's one that it's easy to see yourself in because the older brother as the younger son is on his way home is incredibly critical, doesn't understand, and asks all of these kind of cynical questions to the Father. Why are you throwing this party? Why are you doing this? He's he squandered his inheritance. He's ran off. He's done all the things you're not supposed to do. And Jesus finishes the story talking about the Father. What Jesus does in the second half of Luke 15, which you can go back and read, is indicts religious people for mixing up their version of the Christian life with the real thing. With, with the world's gospel, with Jesus' gospel. And one of the most powerful kind of follow ups to all of this is actually in Romans 10. And that's where we're going to park here for just a moment. I want to talk about this. In Romans 10, uh, if you have a Bible, again, I want you to turn here so we can read it together. In verse 12 is where we're going to start. This is what Paul writes. He's writing to the Roman church here, to the Greek and Roman church. And this is what Paul says to them He says, There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, there's just no difference. There's no difference between this people group or that people group. The same Lord, the same King is Lord and King over all, and richly blesses all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then though, can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? This is how Paul ends this passage. He says, how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That passage to me sticks out because what Paul doesn't do here is give Greek and Roman Christians a way out of actually pursuing and chasing after people who are lost. He doesn't give them a formula for how to find themselves. He didn't say, okay, if you're a Christian, here's how you get to criticize people who are not Christians yet. In fact, Paul doesn't do that at all in almost any of the passages. Can I just say this so you need to hear? I need to hear this. Uh, as we step into this new space, this kind of monumental day for us as a church, 15 years in the making, I think one of the things that would change how people perceive Jesus in our community, if we were to stop being mad at people for, that are lost for acting lost, and start loving people who are lost. Fundamental difference. Our world is incredibly gifted at criticizing people who are lost, and yet the church so often is radio silent when it comes to actually loving people who are lost, who are far from God. And uh, what I think ultimately Paul and Jesus are trying to tell us is that the gospel at the end of the day, it answers the question, are you lost? Which we all ask at some point in our lives. Are you lost? The world's is find yourself, and Jesus says, guess what? Are you lost? God has found you. God has done everything possible to reach you, to lay down his life, to give up his own resources, sacrificing himself so that you and I could know real life. And what Paul calls the attempt, our best effort to try to let people know that message, he calls that beautiful. And we don't use that word too often. Maybe you describe your wife that way, or you should start. I'm just giving you some husband tips there, Uh, especially if she's 37 weeks pregnant. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Amen. amen from anybody here. Just saying, I've been there. I am there. But what happens is that Paul actually talks to the Roman church. He's addressing Christians. He's addressing people like so many of us in this room. And he's saying, if you allow your feet to bring good news to people, If you allow your feet, your body, your resources to actually reach people who would describe themselves not as the older brother who's already found, who's got all the resources, he's at home, he's in the father's house, he's good. But allow yourself to be like the father, to chase after, to sacrifice yourself, to embarrass yourself, to be taken advantage of to reach younger brothers. Paul calls that beautiful. Here's the truth. And I, there's a lot of things you could say on like a first Sunday in a new new space. And sure, we've got a lot of things to iron out. Can I just say this? Just a friendly reminder from Paul and Jesus and John Corvette. Lost people don't find themselves. Lost people don't find themselves. It, it was often that, that Pete and I would sit over lunch at Manelli's And we would talk about people in his life who were far from God. And there was times where we prayed together for people in his life who he was concerned about their eternity. Can I just remind you, lost people don't find themselves. It takes people like Pete and others of you to say, you know what, I'm going to take this personal. I'm going to allow myself to be part of the rescue mission God has me on. I'm not going to be the older brother sitting back and say, why are you so lost? What's your problem? Why do you vote like that? Why do you think like that? Why do you post that on social media? Why do you treat your kids that way? I'm just going to decide I'm going to love people who are lost. Because I realize that lost people, and I was one, don't find themselves. It takes a rescue mission. It takes a search party to go after them and to reach them. And that's one of the most fascinating things between Pete and all these other people uh, sitting in this room next to you, is that I've had story after story of people in this building campaign, this getting campaign we've been on since last October, is people that just come to me with ideas and thoughts for ministry to reach our community. And one of the things that moves me as a pastor is being able to hear that. Because what it cues to me with some of those ideas is that we're not just going to be a Christian club huddled in this room. We're going to be an active search party every single Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, who goes after people who find themselves in the younger brother's position, lost and desperate and not able to find themselves, not able to pull themselves up and figure life out, but to say we're going to pursue. Those who were lost. I think about my friend Charlie. Charlie early on, because he must be obsessed with coffee, is what I'm figuring out. But he said, "What we should do is like a kind of drop-in coffee hour. We should have like coffee just available here on Sunday mornings and or during the week, and just people to drop in and connect and make make friends and all that kind of stuff. And the goal would be to intersect people's lives who follow Jesus with people who are lost. You know what God calls that beautiful. That's beautiful." Uh, I think about my friend Anya, who works on our team, and she shared with me just a few months ago, hey, do you think it'd be okay if we use this space to actually gather people, gather women who are wrestling with the traumatizing effects and brokenness that comes with abortion in our community? Do you think we can meet together and pray for them and support them and encourage them? You know what God calls those kind of ideas? Beautiful. It's beautiful. Now, I think about I was talking with uh, my friend Nick, and so, Nick, basically in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, decided to launch like a men's discipleship group and, and have it around a bonfire. And he launched this, this thing and guys start to show up and more guys have shown up even in the recent couple weeks and asked, hey, if we, if we get too big or the bonfire in January doesn't sound very appealing, do you think we can meet in here? And I said, absolutely. You know what God calls people who are willing to intersect their lives to give up parts of their weekend to reach men who have broken past and need freedom? beautiful it's beautiful god just looks at that and says it's beautiful how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news you know the part that alarms me about luke 15 when i read it i mean i closely identify with this older brother in so many different ways what really strikes me and i've never ever ever caught this before in luke 15 there was no search and rescue party for the brother you ever caught that no one goes after the brother the older brother who was found, who likely had resources, who probably should have some interest, kind of like I did with my brother JJ, like, hey, we got to find him. Like, we can't, we can't just leave my brother out there. You can't say, well, I've got two out of three sons. That's a, that's a good percentage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if you did that with your kids, you'd be, CPS would be called already. And maybe some of you are processing, should I do that? And I'm telling you, don't do that. <laughs> you will get in trouble and get me in trouble for somehow endorsing what you just did. But my point is, I mean, there's no search and rescue party for the brother. As I read the story, I I would hope, I honestly would hope that if I was the older brother, I would go after this younger brother. I would say, no, 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 don't. I know you're literally eating pig slop. Let me get you out of that. Let me show you a better way. Hey, I'm going to find you and let's go home. I put out an Amber Alert. I do it whatever was possible. I'd be riding my little mini camel all over trying to find this younger brother, but no one looks after the younger brother. No one searches after him. They just send him out. And even in the midst of his misery, he just ends up kind of stumbling back towards home. And it's the father who runs after and pursues the younger brother. You know, the thing that really stuck in my mind is I was just praying for this morning and even thinking about just what this means for the church and even this passage is that that Mall of America story is interesting to me now 20 years later. Because what happened in that moment was as soon as we realized JJ was lost, two different responses occurred. In my 10-year-old genius brain, it was, we need to split up and find JJ among the thousands of people that are out there. We need to run after him. We need to find, he may be on a ride by himself hurling right now. We need to go after and find our, my youngest brother. I don't know where he is. And very counterintuitively, but wisely, all you parents are nodding your head if this has ever happened to you. He's like, my dad's like, just stay right here. Just stay right here. Do, do not move. Do not, do not yell. Just stay right here. Eventually, J.J. will find himself. But can I tell you, that's a great parenting strategy, and it's an awful kingdom strategy. That may work for parents, but that is not how Jesus operates. He doesn't say, hey, I'm just going to sit here in this church, and maybe you'll find yourself here maybe you'll find your way in here. My 10-year-old instinct, if I can say it this way, was a little bit more spiritual than that. It was, we need to do everything possible to go after this person. we we lost JJ. We can't do this Camp Snoopy thing without JJ. And there are people and families, marriages, kids, right outside these double doors that do not have the hope that we have and do not have the grace of God at work in life don't have the transforming, life-changing power of Jesus yet. Lots of people don't find themselves. It takes a rescue mission. It takes a search party. And I think about even just the dream. What would be the dream? I sat down and was talking to so many of you about the last 15 years And the people that have made it happen, the the sacrifices that have happened, the weird, weird ideas that you've all had over the last 15 years to reach people, uh, like toilets and Halloween, trunk or treat. There's just, yeah, if you're like brand new, don't be alarmed by that. (laughs) These people are normal. I'm just kidding. We're not normal in any sense of the word. But I was trying to think about, like, what would what be the dream for the next 15 years? Like, here we are in, in what so many of you have prayed for. You're in an actual physical space that even just months ago we prayed and worshiped in. And I, I think about what would be the dream for the next 15 years. So this is the gospel of John Gorvette here, not Jesus. But I dream about 12 locations around the world that are radically impacted because Center decided we're not just going to pursue younger brothers here, we're going to pursue them around the world what would that look like? I dream about hearing someone say, my marriage is falling apart. I should try center church. Just hearing someone say that would be so beautiful. It would just bless God's heart. I've tried everything. Maybe it's time. Maybe we should try center. I've heard that they're weird and that, that change happens there, at least. <laughs> I, we should try the center church. I dream about 1,000 people who step into the baptism tank and say, my life was headed for destruction until someone invited me in to meet Jesus. And and there was a people and a community of people that rallied around them and rescued them and searched after them. I dream about every year someone asking you or asking me, hey, I'm feeling called to vocational ministry. How How do I resign well? How do I leave my job well? I'm feeling called to go overseas or to serve here in a local church ministry of some sort. I don't know what it looks like, but how do I leave my job well. See, the next 15 years are a divine cliffhanger. We don't know what they're going to be like. You don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. But I think about the dreams that God has for us, and I know that if we decide to be people who bring good news, God will say, beautiful. It's beautiful. And that's how Luke 15, this parable, ends in a huge cliffhanger, because you don't know if the older brother ever went to the, the celebration party or not. It doesn't say if he, he finally rejoined his brother and they had a great party and the older brother did bring in the fattened calf and do all these things. We just don't know. I think Jesus does that on purpose because he wants to invite the listener into making a decision about how will you treat younger brothers? How will you react to younger brothers? One of those powerful verses in all of scripture is Hebrews 12 too. It just simply, writes, simply says that for the joy set before him Jesus endured the cross. You know what Jesus' joy was at the cross? Think about it. It was you. It was your family. It was your husband. It was your son. It was your uncle. It was your boss. It was your bus driver. It was your maintenance person. That's who the joy set before him. That's what it was. It was the joy set before him. He was willing to endure Everything, friends. That's the power of Jesus's gospel. The good news to you is that you have an older brother who decided I'm not going to just stay in my father's house. I'm going to lay down every single resource and divine privilege I have to reach the younger brothers who are lost. Because lost people don't find themselves. To chase you down to to let you know you are beautiful and valuable and redeemable and worthy of love and affection by your heavenly Father. When I think about Luke 15 actually a name comes to mind. It's not Jesus, but that certainly would come to mind. But there's actually a name kind of from our family history. His name is Bob Powers. Uh, Bob was a neighbor of my grandfather, Ken. So when Ken was a teenager, uh, Bob was like the best hunter in their community. People knew Bob, and somehow he was always, this is like rural eastern Canada, always able to obtain a moose hunting license. Like Bob was just had a knack for it or, or had a lot of money to bribe the people. I'm not sure which one it was. But my grandfather at the time, Ken, was obsessed with, with going hunting with Bob. He was like, he's the best one. It's going to get me all sorts of clout with my friends. like I need to I need to figure out a way to get in with Bob. So what happens is Bob, here's a message very similar to this one. It was kind of an encouraging message from his pastor at the time, and they were saying, you should really you should go after younger brothers. You should go after lost people. And all it takes some time, just walking across the yard and maybe there's someone next to you. And Bob drove home from church today, that day, and took it very seriously, very personal. And none of Ken's family, none of my grandfather's family were Christians. They weren't in ministry. They didn't have it all together. They didn't go to church every weekend. And so Bob decides, I'm going to invite Ken to church. Ken's 17 at the time. And immediately in Ken's mind, it clicks. He's like, I can go moose hunting with Bob if I go to church with Bob. And so I don't know what in what your 17-year-old mind that worked out that way, but it did for him. And so Ken decides, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with Bob. And so Ken, Bob puts him in his old car, and then Ken and Bob drive to church. Ken hears the gospel for the very first time. Here's the life-changing power of Jesus, here's the good news. And Ken's whole life begins to change, begins to transform, begins to be reoriented. Eventually, Ken's family begins to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ, begins to be changed and transformed. These people who are so far from God, uh, Bob's relatives, who've shared some of the story with me, uh, describe my grandparents and and my grandfather and his family as not exactly church folk. (laughs) That's not exactly a church-going type, if you know what I mean. And so this family, my grandfather's family, begins to be transformed and changed. And I wonder, when I look at this story, and when I look around this room, I look at you, what would happen, what would have happened if Mr. Powers, if Bob never invited my grandfather to church? Would we be here? Would we be in this moment? Would I even get to be a part of what's happening? I mean, you just don't ever know. And I'm so incredibly grateful that a moose hunter named Bob decided that inviting my grandfather to church was worth it, that the sacrifice and the reputation maybe and just the awkward interaction was worth it. And he stepped across his yard, next door neighbor, and just said, Ken, do you want to come to church with me? Didn't even bother with the parents, which is a whole other indictment on my great-grandparents, but do you want to come to church with me? And Ken did, and his life was radically changed. The part of the story I didn't know is that Bob kept a family picture uh, on one of their coffee tables. And uh, we actually have the picture. That guy with the awful glasses and beautiful buzz cut is me. (laughs) That yellow shirt is me. And Bob had this picture near one of his coffee tables, and and his daughters told us he would pray for the Gorbet family every single night because he knew God was doing something and prayed for us to come to know Jesus and experience that. What if you could be a Bob Powers for someone in your life? What if God wanted to do that same dimension of just transforming work, and all it took was for you and I to take the mission personal? To realize that lost people don't find themselves, and, and Jesus is inviting us to be a part of the rescue mission in this world, in this community, in Byron Center, in this strip mall even, that God is inviting us into that story. So I want to ask you a very simple question, one that you've probably got a real quick answer to. Who's lost in your world? Who in your life does not have a relationship with Jesus yet? And you know, if that clicked, if that happened, if they encountered the real true Jesus, not religion, not another church service, but Jesus himself, if they met Jesus, what would change? Would their lives be significantly better and transformed and more fulfilling and satisfying if Jesus was at the very center of their life. I've got people, I've got some quick names that come to mind, I've got some families I know who need that, and you probably do too. And so what I wanna encourage you to do is we're gonna interact with that over the next couple weeks throughout this series. I just wanna encourage you, don't let that name just float out of your brain today. Don't walk through these doors and forget that name. Don't forget that family, that coworker, that fellow student, allow that name to, to mess with you this week. And then we're going to talk about some next steps we can take in that. But who is lost in your world? Pray for them. Write their name down. Think about. And we're going to take a moment right now to pray as well. So would you join me? Jesus, I thank you that you are, no matter where where we're at in life, where we're at in faith, where we're at spiritually or mentally, what circumstances we bring into this moment, I thank you that you are always the God who runs after us. Who, like the Father, is willing to be undignified in his pursuit of us. To reveal deeply to the world that we are loved and valuable in your eyes. I thank you that I was a younger brother and that you chased after me. You weren't content with just having some older brothers. You wanted all of us and you chased after us. So God, I pray for the people in this room who right now, maybe they're a little bit more like the younger brother. Maybe they're far from you. No, they need to restore and step back into your house to allow themselves to be found by you. God, I pray that today would mark the beginning of that journey and that conversation with you about what it means to fully surrender and align their lives with you. And God, I pray for the the rest of us here who know that we so closely can identify with the older brother and just live in the comfort of the father's house without recognizing there are younger brothers dying every single day far away from you that don't have a relationship with you and their eternity would be radically different if someone like a bob would step in and invite them to be a part of you and and part of your family so we love you and trust you with this we thank you for your greatness thank you in the midst of all the things this life will throw at, us, throw at us that we don't have to be the ones in control because you are. And we love you and thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.